Choice is brought to you by Wordsworth Books. It's noon on the first Monday of the month, so it's Book Choice on Fine Music Radio right here at the Artscape Theatre in Cape Town. I'm Gory Bose Taylor. And I'm Mataba Taba. Good morning to you. Good morning to me or to the listeners? To the listeners. They're more important. <laughs> I see. Sad news this month, and then plenty of good books. Andrew Marshbanks, MD, Wordsworth Books. So very heartrendingly died on the 16th of February. He and I started Fine Music Radio Book Choice 19 years ago and worked together for all that time. Andrew's monthly reviews were, <laughs> like him, calm, conversational, intelligent, enthusiastic. In loving, gosh, a bit close to, to tears. <laughs> In loving and grateful memory of Andrew, Mark Jennings, Fine Music Radio station manager, has made a Fine Music Radio donation to Shine Literacy. The good news is that Nikki Farrelly, manager, Wordsworth Books, Long Beach Mall, will be with us each month at this time, as suggested by Andrew. This month, Nikki picks terrific titles. Michael Roach Kelly, mean as ever, gives us three thrillers to curl our toes. He's very unkind. Beverly Rose Muller pays tribute to the delicacy. Sorry, I've got a bit lost. <laughs> to the delicacy and delight of award winning Irish writer Sebastian Barry for the brilliance of his third novel, To Mind the McNally Family's history. It's called The Temporary Gentleman. Sally Ann Creed talks the toxins in our food, our personal care products and household cleaners and reassures us that it's just 63 days to optimum health and that's the title of her book, Vibrant and Vital. And it's one of today's giveaways. Leslie Beek brings us up to date on the childhood chilling dragons. Vanessa Levenstein, with roughly the same young age in mind, talks to, and I can't read this, Janneke Nielsen in Holland, down the telephone, about the launch of a fascinating app in The New Girl Code. Melvin Minar is much moved by Andrew Marshall's Dissecting Wobblies. It's Andrew's brave, sometimes dark, often hilarious take on living with his genetic neuromuscular degenerative disease. It's called Frederick's Ataxia. And do stay with us for our easy peasy competition question to win one of two 250 Rand Wordsworth Book vouchers or a copy of 63 Days to Optimum Health. Welcome, welcome, Nikki Farrelly. You're the manager at Wordsworth Books, Long Beach Mall, and you've got good-looking books there. The Tortoise Cried Its Only Tear by Carol Campbell. Carol Campbell has previously written about the Karikimensa of the Karoo in her books My Children Have Faces and Esther's House. 
The stories are a social comment on the Karikimensa, who are a marginalized people living endlessly nomadic, ruthless lives on the brink of total poverty. They trek from place to place looking for odd jobs and grazing for their livestock. In The Tortoise Cried Its Only Tear, she adds a stronger element of folktale and myth, which enriches the portrayal of these people, who have been the Karoo's gypsies for many years. The story is set in the area surrounding Prince Albert, and involves Sina, determined to achieve a decent education and a better life. Butty, a wild, neglected child whose friendship with Sina is his only solace, and Cricky, the son of a now-vanished prostitute who has helped attend primary school by a well-intentioned neighbour. Their lives, their relationships with each other and with their community is set against the backdrop of the timeless Karoo. Campbell explores how a single small act of kindness can transform a life and by implication other connected lives until a whole community can feel the ripple effect of that single gesture and likewise how one violent act can change a community. The story also blends myth into social fabric in the form of the tortoise, a creature revered by Sina's father because it holds the wisdom of the land in its eyes. When a tortoise dies it sheds a single tear. This is a poetic image of momentous yet fleeting life against the ancient land, a theme carried out by the generations of lives of its inhabitants. Lyrical, thought-provoking and poignant. The Binding by Bridget Collins This is a gorgeous fantasy about the power of books to erase past memories and the love between two young men. In this world, books play a very different, almost mystical role. If a person has experienced great pain or grief, they are able to visit a bookbinder who has the ability to extract the memories and pain and store it in a book especially created for the person, which is then kept safe by the bookbinder. And if for some reason the book is destroyed, these memories will flood back to their now oblivious inhabitant. This almost shaman-like skill and the power attached to being the sole possessor of so many secrets is regarded with fear and prejudice by the common people in this world. When Emmett Farmer is summoned by a bookbinder to become an apprentice, the letter he receives is met with dread, but it gives Emmett the chance to escape from the peculiar tension he feels at home. He is suffering from an illness he can't identify, and the new quiet and secluded location with his master Seredith and the skills he begins to learn bring him some relief. The narrative skips between Emmett's present situation and the past with his sister Alta and growing friendship with Lucien Darnay. When he discovers there is a book with his name on the spine, we begin to piece the truth together. An original and beautifully conceived story. The Red Address Book by Sophia Lundberg Definitely a book for fans of Frederick Backman's A Man Called Ove. Doris is 96 years old and lives in Stockholm. She looks forward to weekly Skype chats with her grandniece Jenny in America. In order to provide Jenny with a bit of family history, she goes through her old Red Address Book, given to her as a girl by her father. She tracks the names that have systematically been added and crossed out over the years and begins to write about these people, who they were, the roles in her life, the relationships, friendships and the love. These connections have long since passed, but Doris relives the experiences, her life in New York, in London as a model in Paris, and her experiences during World War II, and the story of the only man she loved and their bond. All these colourful chapters in her life are recounted. 
This is a gentle, heartwarming, if sad story, nostalgic but lovely, that waves the fleeting nature of time against the beauty of a life well lived. This is an absolute gem. It is set in a small town in Northern Carolina in the late 60s, where Kaya Clark lives deep in the marshland. She is abandoned by her mother and siblings as a young girl and left to care for a drunken, abusive and mostly absent father. Lonely and isolated, she turns to nature around her for solace. She's a sensitive, intelligent girl and becoming finely tuned to the natural processes around her extends the need for mother's love to nature itself. But in addition to this, it is a coming-of-age story. Kaya meets and befriends two boys. One teaches her to read and write, and the other lands up offering her the possibility of a different life. Then a young man is found dead, and the locals suspect Kaya, who they refer to as the Marsh Girl. Although she's considered strange by the small society, there are some people who look out for her, such as the wonderful Jumpin' and Mabel. Owen's prose is beautiful and poetic. Her imagery is exquisite and the characters are gorgeous.
Zambezi played by the Johnny Cooper Orchestra. Just what we needed to cheer us up. So thank you, Rick. Rick. Well, I, I, we danced that well together, Mataba Taba. Yes, we have we wrecked the studio, I see, but we'll deal with that later. <laughs> and Michael Roach Kelly, three chilling thrillers. Good afternoon, Gori. I have three exciting books for your listeners today. Two well-loved writers, plus one I have never encountered before. Last Man Standing by Stephen Leather When SAS trooper Matt Standing is told that the former Navy SEAL who saved his life is in trouble, he doesn't hesitate to go to his aid. Navy SEAL turned bodyguard Bobby Ray Barnes has been accused of killing the man he was supposed to protect. Three other bodyguards were also killed, and now Bobby Ray is on the run. The dead man was a Russian oligarch connected to the Kremlin, but the question is who wanted him dead? If Bobby Ray was not the killer, who carried out the assassination? And why is Bobby Ray being framed? Staying alive is now priority number one for both men. Great action in this gripping read. Clearing the Dark by Hania Allen When DJ Dania Gorska is called to investigate the shooting of a young man on a Dundree street, the nail hammered into his forehead suggests that local gangster Archie McClellan has left his calling card. Clues point to his involvement in an illegal firearms venture, which includes other members of the McLennan family. The chance discovery of a body in the grounds of Brick House, once owned by the McLennan family, convinces Dania that the two cases must be related. Was the back room at Brick House used as a torture chamber? As Dania gets closer to the truth, she disturbs dangerous secrets from the past which threaten the lives of those in the present. This was police work against a very well-drawn background. In a House of Lies by Ian Rankin, a missing private investigator is found locked in a car hidden deep in the woods. Worse still, both his family and the police had searched the area previously without result. Detective Inspector Siobhan Clark is part of a new inquiry combing through the state of the original case. There were always suspicions about the handling of the investigation, and now, after a decade without answers, it's time for the truth. Every officer involved must now be questioned. It seems everybody has something to hide and everything to lose. But there is one man who knows where the trail may lead and that it could be the end of the line for John Rebus. A splendid thriller. My choices were Last Man Standing by Stephen Leather Clearing the Dark by Hania Allen and in a House of Lies by Ian Rankin. Enjoy your reading. Actually, I think one month we're going to do a, 
giveaway of a thriller. But anyway, for this month's prizes, here's our competition question. Julius Caesar was assassinated on the Ides of March. Which month are the Ides of March? March or December? We're waiting for your clever answers on 021-401-1013. Beverly Ross Muller, The Beauty of Sebastian Barry's Writing. The world out there seems to overflow with drama and tragedy, but for many, perhaps most, that cycle of challenge and suffering plays out most fully within the domestic interior of a personal life, of a family. In his latest novel, The Temporary Gentleman, award-winning Irish author Sebastian Barry tells of a small, insignificant and poor family struggling to fill their lives, of building a better life for themselves, and of the ruination of their aspirations through mistakes, depression, and also drink. It is the third of the McNulty novels. The Secret Scripture was shortlisted for the Man Booker Prize. This might have been an inconsequential tale in the hands of a lesser writer, but Barry has the skill and experience to transform it into a compelling and moving narrative, which holds the reader through the power of his writing. For we are all vulnerable, wanting to do better, and yet self-sabotaging in unlikely and also predictable ways. The book is placed in two very different realms, lovely Sligo in Ireland and Accra, Ghana, where in 1957 Jack McNulty is stationed and begins to write down his personal story of love and betrayals. How did he end up here, a temporary gentleman who had been commissioned by the British during World War II because of his engineering background and ability to build bombs? now living as another kind of overlord in a colonized land. Decades ago, in 1922, he meets the beautiful May Cohen, catching each other's eye with his own red hair like a flame and her flowing skirts in the university grounds where they were studying. She, from a family richer than his, loved the movies, the glimpse of other lives of glamour and adventure, and it is here that their courtship began. Who knows when joy begins to erode, when having a family and friends are just not enough. War damages lives in unseen ways, and when Jack signs up for World War II, she resents his leaving and begins to slip into a trough he had not noticed early enough of depression and of, at first, secret drinking. There is denial on either side. May's behavior becomes increasingly erratic to the point where Jack needs to send his girls to his ma'am for safekeeping. Yet he never ceases to love her, nor to puzzle over what will keep her from slipping from his grasp permanently. And she, lost and floundering, does not know either. Sometimes there are no answers. He seeks help for her, and for a time they have a blessed period of grace and hope. But it is hope that knocks you back. For there is no true solution for her grief, or her cancer, or her lost dreams. Jack recalls that he never saw such courage in her dying, even in a soldier. For the wolf is always in the dog, and she would always be his may, loved yet doomed by history and heritage. In the complex world of Brexit and global politics and finance, it is worth reminding ourselves that, that there is little that is as complicated or as exhausting or as, as important as family. We seldom see into the heart of one that is not our own. 
This is a rare chance to do so, and a remarkable, heartbreaking, and compassionate one at that. When you hear a band that's swinging, or you dig Sinatra singing, when the Duke is highland flinging, it's a breeze. If you're in the upper set, go to first nights at the Met. Hey man, it's a gas, it's a ring-a-ding-ding, it's a breeze. When you're in a jet high flying, or you back a horse that's trying, if the fish you caught is frying, it's a breeze. When you slam the hole in one, or you're tanning in the sun, hey man, it's a gas, it's a ring a ding ding, it's a breeze. A trip to Europe on the QE2 A holiday, search for something new But if it's love you're really craving With a home, a heart, a haven Then it's time you started saving It's a breeze when the jackpot you have hit And you tell your boss, I quit Hey man, it's a gas, it's a ring-a-ding-ding, it's a breeze When you're sailing on the Met in your new yacht You couldn't give a damn, no matter what But when you find the ball is over And you're tired of being a rover And you still can live in clover It's a breeze When you dig a guy that's got it And the marriage ties be knotted Hey man, it's a guess, it's a ring-a-ding-ding It's a breeze Hey man, it's a guess, it's a ring-a-ding-ding It's a breeze It's a breeze sung by Eve Boswell Oh, lovely, thank you, Rick Sadie Ann Creed, let's chat about your very vibrant and very vital book. It's called 36 Days. The subhead is to optimum health, which I call the Sally Ann Creed Credo. You co-wrote The Real Meal Revolution with the great Tim Noakes. You're an, let's see if I can get this right, a functional, integrative, nutritional therapist. Gosh, <laughs> very clever. <laughs> author, author of more than 10 books. You're a researcher a public speaker and a product developer. You're in optimum health yourself, Sally, at the moment. You weren't always. What happened? I was very, very ill um, throughout my childhood with, with chronic asthma 
and sinus problems. I was very overweight after taking all the uh, drugs I was given. I tended to live on antibiotics and cortisone. I was taking 17 scripted drugs actually for decades. And coming into contact with a doctor who had actually cured himself of asthma through food and a couple of nutrients, I was so blessed to be able to go that very route myself. And this sparked my interest in nutrition. And I then actually went on to study it and to qualify. But and of course it, now you're the picture of health. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not, not um, absolutely perfect. I think all of us have got our issues and I'm older now, but I have never felt better. And sally you've actually been sort of following your own advice. I mean, horrific toxins, as you say in your book, there, yeah, and you spell them out, the toxins that are in our food, the toxins <laughs> that are in our cosmetics and sort of personal products, the toxins that are in household cleaning stuff. You, and so tell us how to, how do I put it, how to sort of get rid of all of those and get healthy in, as you say, 63 days. Yeah, it's a process, um, really, Gory. You know, um, you have to start um, small. It's it's overwhelming otherwise, and it's a movable feast, feast really at the end of a day. I would always start with your food. So it's all about what goes into your mouth from you. Well, actually, Sally, and you give the rather horrid advice, don't you? You say in the first three days clear out, eat from your fridge and your deep freeze and your grocery cupboard and then sort of you slowly start and get rid of those things and slowly start replacing them with things that are not toxic. Tell us absolutely. Tell us what you'd like to see replaced. Okay, I would like to see the grocery cupboard cleaned out first and the fridge and freezer and then I'd like to see people actually buying fresh wholesome food every couple of days and one basically needs a small grocery cupboard, a big fridge and a medium freezer in order that you can have a lot of fresh food in your fridge. It's also about having to cook from scratch and not having to buy all of these ready meals that, that go in to the microwave so so that's where you start you first first eat all your stuff or else you give it away and then and am I allowed to drink all my stuff yes absolutely <laughs> <laughs> I think you you've got to be in that that mind space where you are ready to actually embark on this yes and Sadian this isn't a vegetarian diet it's not a vegan diet you make the point don't you that um, if you're going to buy meat and poultry and chicken and all that kind of thing, make sure that your meat, for instance, is grass-fed. It's very important that what goes into their tummies helps us and no sort of antibiotic-fed food and no growth hormones-fed food. And it's made a huge difference to you. Oh, gosh, yes, an enormous difference. The thing is that all of these hormones and chemicals remain active in the animal and are then 
transferred to us and do terrible things to our hormones. So any way that you can lift that toxic burden, um, you have to do it. Because if you stay with the toxins, it can they can be carcinogenic, mm. especially if you're taking in estrogens or what you know whatever it is from the animals. Sadian, you're with Tim Noakes. I mean, for 50 years we've been eating low-fat, high carbs. You're with Tim Noakes, aren't you? The other way around. Absolutely. I don't don't think that um, a woman should have very high fat. I think um, a moderate fat intake is a very good idea but higher protein and moderate fat and loads of green veggies are are, um, are, are really what one is after and, and that is a healthy diet. Lots of people think that eating a lot of protein is unhealthy. It's not if it's healthy protein but if it's supermarket protein or junk protein then it's extremely bad bad for you but if if you are eating really good quality food it will nourish you and um, you don't actually need as much as um, another kind of protein anyway and also you don't really get as hungry as other people do either so so in fact one is ending up eating less but of really really um, good quality food. Oh, Sally Ann, I don't think one could possibly eat less if you go by the recipes in your book. They're so <laughs> delicious. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I mean, and uh, another thing about fat, you said that if we, it's better to buy fatty meat, it, um, providing the fat is yellow, that means the animal was healthy. Absolutely, yes. Um, it means that they have eaten green grass and that folate is present in that fat. And that's very, very important. And Sally, and just quickly, my wand is saying we're running out of time. Just quickly, you also, you have your products, your moisturizers, your cleansers, your household products. How do we get hold of them? Um, well, if you go on to my website, I have an online store. It's HTTPS and little slashes. And then my name is s-a-l-l-y-a-n-n-c-r-e-e-d dot c-o dot z-a that's easy enough and thank you for taking time off to talk to us I know how busy you are thank you very much that's a pleasure Corrie <laughs> that was in fact that was a pre-record with Sally Ann Creed and since then I've tried we've tried her it's called the sticky meatloaf which is so simple so delicious and her brinjal cannelloni, which is absolutely gorgeous. Anyway, clever girl, yum. And her 63 days to optimum health is one of today's giveaways, along with the two 250 rand Wordsworth book vouchers. You just have to answer this very easy question. Julius Caesar was assassinated on, on the Ides of March. When are the Ides of March? Is that March? Is that December? We're waiting for your brilliant responses on 021-401-1013. The ironies, ambiguities and contradictions of life, yes, everyday living, chart the world of the disabled. Blessed are we who sashay up steps without a second thought. 
existentially challenged are those who contemplate their nemesis from a wheelchair at the bottom of the staircase. Disheartening might be the mood of that moment if you think about it. Yet a young man like Andrew Marshall, who faces it as reality all the time, negotiates those paradoxes daily and judging from his remarkable book with bold power of personality. 30-something Andrew Marshall has Frederick's ataxia, or FRDA. WikiLeaks defines it as an autosomal, recessive, monogenetic disorder that is most often recognized as a neuromuscular disease. It is one of those genetic disorders that runs in a family, popping up in an offspring from often perfectly healthy parents. It's a kind of roll of the dice disease, and because of the inevitable conclusion of its often very slow progression, which is destroying the muscles of the affected individually, it's perhaps the epitome of existential human tragedy. But Marshall will not be a Shakespearean sufferer. He has written a book, and can you even imagine how difficult that must be, called Dissecting Wobbles. The oddly humorous title will give you an indication of his sense of humor, obviously a survival mechanism. Wobbles, a teasing nickname from childhood for his waggle walk at a time when no one knew what was wrong with a kid, takes on a gentle, self-mocking tone in the title. But make no mistake, this bright memoir cuts to personal reality with an edgy honesty that punches high on the ethical scale. By now Marshall is virtually immobile, but his spirit is alive and vibrant, and dissecting wobbles is a marvelous document of how that light shines as shadows draw near, gloom threatens to engulf, and the darkness becomes black. Perhaps one of the book's most important points is how the battle between that despair and optimism rages in the individual who has no means of escaping it. He writes about using alcohol, drugs, etc., but these he identifies clearly as useless panacea, choosing to be in the real. The book, written over a long period of his life, over numerous years, is offered as a short chapters, brief essays of a kind, linked to blog rights that record and reflect on the very personal of, yes, that everyday living with, as he calls it, threads. It follows a loose chronological order, which brings a particular brightness to each piece, like shards of a specific life that is slowly breaking up, at the same time forming a kaleidoscope of body and mind entwined in struggle. For those of us without such disability, the real is extremely difficult to come to terms with. The real is only what the person that experiences it relates or explains to us as outsiders. And the problem is with that too much detail in emotion, one tends to shut down on empathy too little, and the truth stays untold, unexperienced. Andrew Marshall's simple telling is direct and dispassionate, while the battle rages privately. He acknowledges that writing the book is a means of making sense of handling the grand battle of his life, and so this very readable publication takes on a special significance. As reader, one feels that all that glowing from the text. The nitty-gritty realities of the disabled life are an unknown world to most of us. It's a very different existence, and Andrew Marshall's is a fight for the fading light. Dissecting Wobbles, subtitled This is Just How I Roll, is an inspiring read. It is available at select bookstores or via Andrew Marshall's website, 
which is www.dissectingwobbles.co.za or Amazon or Loot. And do watch, as I did after chatting to Melbourne, um, Andrew Marshall being interviewed on ENCA. It's on his website and uh, it's on YouTube and he's a very attractive young man and it's very poignant. Leslie Beak, be aware of dragons. Leslie Beak, you're going to tell us about the dragons in childhood. When I was a child, there was only one conversation parents dreaded and sometimes managed to miss out completely from embarrassment. I remember my little chat very well and having no idea what they were talking about. Well, for a while, anyway. Today's children are much more street-savvy and could often give their parents a few tips. But there is another, sometimes more difficult, conversation that has become critically important. How to stay safe. The statistics are so in our faces that it's no need to repeat them here. The fact is that children need to be, from an increasingly younger age, aware. But how to make sure that they are without frightening them or making them afraid of any and every person they meet? The Day the Dragon Came by Fani Fuyun manages to steer the fine line between necessary information and scaremongering. Because he uses story in a way that children will relate to, and it's a good story and a gentle one, in this beautifully constructed tale of Kyla, an ordinary little girl in a normal kind of a home with an older sister and a dog called Tiki, readers slowly become aware that all is not right in this household. And in a parallel version for boys, Kevin has similar experiences. Kyla wants to be Princess Arabia. Kevin dreams of being a knight in shining armor. Both children have an older sister who has become sad and introverted. There's a dragon in the house. Be careful, she tells them. But who can it be? And what do dragons do? They hurt children, that's what they do. They take advantage of youth and innocence, that's what they do. They hide behind the screen of being part of the family, that's what they do. As Kyla and Kevin slowly found out, helped by a vigorous and useful lesson from Miss Aronser, who tells them in a no-nonsense way how important it is for them to understand what other people may and may not do to them. The children make a list of five people they can talk to if necessary, and significantly, Mom's boyfriend appears on neither list. I'm really impressed by the writing and the thought that went into these books. Having read the story, there is guidance for adults and for children at the back of the book. In clear, no-nonsense way, the outlines are given for how to behave and what to do if there is a dragon in your life. Highly recommended for when the timing is right for that other little talk. To lighten the mood a little, here's a charming picture book. Anna Carries Water. About Anna, who desperately wants to be able to carry water on her head like the older children do. In this sweet, water-carrying, coming-of-age story, Anna eventually achieves what she dreams of, with the help of a scary cow in a field. Confidence was all it took. That, and a small scare to take her mind off what she was doing. Lovely for read-aloud or early readers on their own, and the illustrations are absolutely beautiful. Along the way, the critical importance of water in our lives is well displayed. 
I reviewed The Day of the Dragon Came by Fanny Fulhun with illustrations by Tumi K. Stein, published by Tafelberg in 2019. There's a boys' and the girls' version with Afrikaans translations on their way. Anna Carries Water is by the distinguished Jamaican writer Olive Senior and illustrated by Laura James. It was published locally by Jakana in 2018.
got my best, best All I need now is the girl Got my striped tie, got my hopes I got the time and the place and I got rhythm Now all I need is the girl to go with them If she'll just appear We'll take this big town for a while And if she'll say My darling, I'm yours I'll throw away my striped tie And my best breast tweed All I really need is the girl Got my tweed pressed, got my best vest All I need now is the girl Got my striped tie, got my hopes I got the time and the place and I got with them Now all I need is the girl to go with them If she'll just appear We'll take this big town far away I'll throw away my striped tie and my best rest week. All I really need is the girl. Gumnando klalutagi, he we. Gumnando klalutagi, we. Gumnandi, Gumnandi, Gumnandu salutagi. Umsomlu kules bilules tatules sinules tanum kibela. Isonto Gumnandi, Gumnandi, Gumnandu salutagi. Ikrikha 
C'est le Well, we had a bit of extra time, so I decided to play three tracks, and believe it or not, that was the Johnny Cooper Orchestra with Gumnandi, along with the click song. And before that, it was All I Need Is The Girl, sung by Jonathan Rocksmith. And then I'm Always Chasing Rainbows by Ken Higgins. I believe we have one more, Corey. One more song, or what? No, one more review. One more track. Uh, <laughs> one more review. <laughs> okay. And it's Vanessa Levenstein. You spoke to a social technologist, entrepreneur, goodness me, Janica Neeson in Holland. You spoke down the line about the new girl code inspiring the next generation of women technology. The New Girl Code is a fictional novel about a 15-year-old Capetonian, Tumi Letsatsi, who stumbles across the magic of coding and creates a fashion app which goes viral and rockets her and her friends to fame. The book is written by Nikki Smith, based on an idea by a global tech entrepreneur, Yannicka Neeson. Now joining us today for Book Choice, on the phone from Holland, is Yannicka. Welcome. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Now, as a mother with a teenage girl, I can't comment on the coding, but I can say this book is really true to teen life. Both my daughter and I just loved the local shopping references in particular. How did the book evolve? Yes, so we had the Dutch version, but with the book, we want to actually create a role model for young girls to be inspired to look at technology in a different way. And I think one of the things that is really important for a role model is that you recognize yourself, that you think, hey, that could be me. So getting from the Dutch book to the South African version, uh, we have involved a South African artist, Bugle, and uh, she did the entire localization, making sure that the basis of the story remains while making sure it also was recognizable for young girls in teenage girls in South Africa. And that it really was. Now, is coding historically male-dominated? Well, interestingly, originally coding was mainly done by women, and then uh, somehow it turned into uh, something for men, and 
until today, the field is unfortunately really dominated by men. And it's not a bad thing because men are bad. Um, <laughs> it's because it is the future and everybody should be involved in the future. No matter your background, your age, your gender, your, well, anything you can think of. It's really important that the, the future is built by a wide variety of people so we can also make sure it's going to be inclusive. I love that. And you've definitely made it inclusive by making it so very South African. But I want to know how realistic is it that a teenager could create an app that goes viral? How difficult is it? It is realistic. It has happened. There are companies started by uh, teenagers. But I think the much more important message is that girls can achieve anything they want, that they are allowed to dream big and reach for the stars. And, and there is um, a possibility to get there. Maybe uh, not tomorrow or next year, but maybe in a few years. So believing that you can achieve anything, I think is really important for girls to actually start doing things and embracing an adventure. And also I hope that through the book, they do see that it's not just glamorous, that it's really hard work and a lot of setbacks, but it's so worth it to try to do something big and jump into tech. That was very clear. And what was also clear was the parental support. I loved the parents in this book. They didn't micromanage, but yet they gave guidance where it was needed. What advice would you give to parents whose daughters show an interest in coding? Well, I think it's important to offer them different uh, possibilities to get to learn to uh, code take them onto a a journey and let them speak to people that are into tech so they get a better view of what it means. Maybe start coding uh, together. But also uh, what is very relevant to a lot of girls is to know what learning to code today could mean to their future. And uh, as parents, it's it's important to understand that coding is everywhere, that technology is in every uh, job, in every industry, it's not uh, a niche. And making that connection, for example, by uh, showing uh, the role of technology in uh, in fashion or in music or in whatever uh, sparks an interest with your girl, I think that's really important. And um, at, at a young age, they have different interests than later on, but making the connection uh, now and showing them what, what it could mean will probably encourage them to actually start learning to code, uh, do more with math, dive into all these uh, topics. And there's a lot of great um, initiatives uh, across South Africa where you can get to coding schools. There's a few listed uh, in the book, but make sure that you look up also local initiatives where you can get into coding or other STEM subjects and actually get hands-on experience. This is such a powerful platform to get this message across. And what's also wonderful is that proceeds from the book sales will be used to make this book available for free to girls who are not in the position to purchase this book in South Africa. Well done to you, and thank you so much, Janneke Niesen, for your time. Thank you.
Johnny Cooper Orchestra again uh, with uh, the Penny Whistle song. Gory. And that's it then. Matabataba is exhausted with all his dancing. Thank you for your calls. We had 32 calls in 20 minutes for today's competition. Well done. And just let me... Cindy Leeson, it looks like. Cindy Leeson is one winner. Another one is Sharon Wagner, it looks like. And Peter Niemand. We're going to bring you quite soon after this, maybe, in fact, tonight. It's matinee up next with uh, Sheila Chisholm. And thank you to the terrific team, to Rick Everett for the music, to Mabandi Lobi, production engineer, and to Mataba Taba for his uh, yeah, studio wrecking dancing. From me, Gory Bose Taylor, it's goodbye and good reading. Book Choice was brought to you by Wordsworth Books. Hi, I'm Andrew from Wordsworth Books. We have bookshops that are a bit different. We have staff that are a bit different. We love our customers and we're passionate about our books. From paperbacks at 59 Rand to Leonardo da Vinci at 2000 Rand, our selection is remarkable. And we sell special stationery as well. Wordsworth. We sell books the old-fashioned way. We read them. FMR.